You're listening to the podcast from Emmanuel Community Church. For more information, go to emmanuelcc.co.uk. If you'd like to turn to 1 Samuel chapter 16, and in the church Bibles, that's just after 1 Samuel chapter 15. Thomas told me I was allowed to do that one. It was a smile and not a joke. And we're going to read verses 1 to 13. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. But Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears about it, he will kill me. The Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what to do. You are to anoint for me the one I indicate. Samuel did what the Lord said. When he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town trembled when they met him. They asked, Do you come in peace? Samuel replied, Yes, in peace. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come to the sacrifice with me. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, The Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse then made Shammah pass by. But Samuel said, Nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. But Samuel said to him, The Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, Are these all the sons you have? There is still the youngest, Jesse answered. He is tending the sheep. Samuel said, Send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent for him and had him brought in. He was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, Rise and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. Samuel then went to Ramah. not a good start I just splashed water on my nose there we go uh, lovely to be with you today I've not introduced myself my name's Chris I'm one of the, the leaders here today um, I wonder what YouTube videos do you watch or I'll contextualize that to other people what are your favorite television programs now if I'm on YouTube there's three places I normally go one is a guy called Trek Trendy. He travels around the world reviewing first-class flights and cruises and train uh, journeys. I also look at a guy called Beard Meets Food. He takes on food challenges. That is, he eats a lot of food in a set amount of time. 
If he succeeds, he gets the meal free and a free T-shirt. If he fails, he has to pay for the meal. And then there's a guy called Rick Shields who plays golf on some fantastic golf courses. His goal is to try and get the tiny white ball around the 18 holes in 75 shots or under. And he will play with some other good golfers too. Now, why do I watch these videos? Well, I'm normally drawn to things that I think are impressive. So I like to view impressive modes of transport. I like to see someone eating impressive quantities of food. And I like to, I like to watch golf being played on impressive courses and at an impressive standard. Now, I realise this makes me a little bit weird, but I imagine you're a bit weird too in the things you view. Maybe you like watching people sing on YouTube. Maybe you like watching uh, people kick a tiny leather round thing into a goal. Maybe you like watching detectives solving crimes, or cats doing funny things, or people dancing on Saturday night, or a beast making creative videos, or cars being driven really fast, or people fixing things. Whatever you view, it's probably been influenced by how impressed you are by that thing. And we love impressive things. We're constantly drawn to them. That's why the celebrities are so popular. Whether you want to admit it or not. You know you buy the magazines. You watch the Netflix series. I know that you follow them on social media. Why? Because they are impressive. They might look impressive. They might do impressive things. Or they might have impressive lifestyles. You see, impressive things capture our hearts and grab our attention now of course none of this is new and you'll probably be aware of this in genesis chapter 3 verse 6 adam and eve are put in the garden they're given one simple thing to do to enjoy all the blessings that god has for them but it fails because they see something impressive chapter 3 verse 6 i think will come on the screen so you don't have to turn to it when the woman saw the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. Now, it's probably not the fruit like is currently in my kitchen. My fruit at the minute, because we're more chocolate than fruit people, is a bit manky. It has those little flies flying around them, and they smell a bit iffy. Now, if that's the fruit that Adam and Eve have, they're not going to eat it, are they? But because it looks good, because it's pleasing to the eye, because it's impressive, they are drawn away from God and they are drawn towards this impressive thing. And I'm sure we can probably relate to that too. What though if God worked differently than us? What if God is impressed in different ways? What would this tell us about Jesus? What would this mean for our lives? Well, in our passage today, we're going to see three things. We're going to see the problem with the impressive, the priority of the inward, and the perfection of the incarnate. Now, you can tell I had a thesaurus with me this week, can't you? Thank you. Let me pray and then we'll get to work.
Father God, we thank you for your word. Father, we know there's many things in this world that are impressive, that take us away from you and the Lord Jesus and doing what you've asked. We pray you would grant us humility, not just to listen, but to hear, to hear and obey, and in all we do to glorify you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's think point number one, the problem with the impressive. Now in January 2022, I did something that I'd not done before. I got a new car. I know. Now, this is an important thing. The car came, it was January 2022, but it came with a registration plate for 2021. Important information, park it there. Now initially, I was really impressed with my shiny new car. It was shiny, it had heated seats, I've not had that before. It had lots of cup holders and electric windows, because I was getting tired of doing that all the time. So it was amazing, and I've got to admit, I felt good driving it. I, I drove it, and I felt more important than everyone else. I looked down on people as peasants <laughs> who didn't have a new car like me. And I just was generally a better person than everyone else. However, now remember, I got it in January 2022. By February 2022, I'd come to despise the car and my very existence. What had happened? Well, I'd started to see cars with, you guessed it, a 2022 registration. My new and impressive car was no longer new. It was no longer impressive. I no longer felt important. And I started to resent everything about the world. Now, I realise that story makes me sound like an idiot. And I was for feeling like that. I get that. But I've got a feeling that you know what that's like too. Now, it might not be a new car... But you definitely know that feeling when that thing no longer impresses you. Now, it might be that person who charmed you for a few dates, but then you find them aggressively running after cats in the street, and you think they're a bit crazy. You've, so a few of you have been out with that same fella. Okay. Uh, or it could be that you've got that best friend but then you see the meat for the first time and they eat a sandwich like a rabbit. And you think, I can't hang out with them anymore. Or, and you've done this, that house on right move, you know it. It looked amazing on the photos. And you go to see it and you think, what kind of trickery has been at work here? It doesn't look the same. Or maybe, and this is for the younger people, maybe it was that impressive Christmas present that you had to have last year, and yet for the life of you, apart from Catherine, you can't remember what it is. Now, impressive things, they often leave us frustrated, disappointed, wanting more. Why? Because they were never made to give our souls rest. The very purpose is for us to want more. Impressive things often leave us feeling empty. And you know this. You know this. I know this. We've experienced it time and time again. And we convince ourselves, I'm not going to be fooled by that impressive thing this time. And yet, we run to it as fast as we can. What's going on? We're always searching for rest. 
until we find rest, we'll keep chasing these impressive things, however ludicrous it makes us and how expensive it costs. Well, let's read the first seven verses of 1 Samuel uh, 16 and see how Samuel is also drawn to the impressive. Verse 1, the Lord said to Samuel, how long will you mourn for Saul since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. Now I'm not going to stop at every verse, but this one we just need to, to do a little bit of work in. Firstly, you'll see that Samuel is mourning over Saul. And you might think that's a bit weird because we've been in one Samuel and wasn't it Chris that Samuel was really offended that the people of Israel had asked for a king in the first place? Yeah, that's right. Wasn't Samuel perplexed by Saul in chapter 13 when Saul offers the sacrifices instead of Samuel? Yeah. Wasn't Samuel tearing his hair out in chapter 15 when Saul fails to carry out the Lord's commands with regards to the Amalekites? Yes. So why on earth did he mourn for Saul? Well, this will test your knowledge of 1 Samuel. If you go way back to the beginning, you remember the guy called Eli? He had a couple of sons, didn't he? Scoundrels. Remember what happened? Samuel is, is given to Eli, in a sense, to bring up. And Samuel becomes like Eli's sons. Well, that's true what happens here. Remember Samuel? Samuel's sons become rascals too. So what happens is Samuel sees Saul like his son. So when God rejects Saul, Samuel takes that really difficultly and hard to take. Secondly, Saul's kingship starts and ends in rejection. In chapter 8, the Israelites reject God. They want to be like the other nations and they want a king. Now God is rejecting Saul because he's been a king like all the other nations. Saul has failed to obey God's word. And God said if he disobeyed, he would be rejected. Chapter 12, verse 15. Thirdly, God is now telling Samuel, you have to move on. Now, just a bit of Bible trivia for you here. Uh, the Old Testament is written in, mainly in Hebrew. There's a bit of Aramaic and there's a bit of Geordie. I don't know if anyone knows that. There's a bit of Geordie. And it's actually the phrase for move on, be on your way. How are you, man? Be on your way. <laughs> it sounded better in my head. <laughs> anyway. What's, he, what's going on? The serious point is this. God is telling him, look, stop mourning for Saul. Stop moping round. Be on your way. There's work to do. And friends, I wonder if, like me, there's things in your life that you've been holding on to. I wonder if there's a, if there's a disappointment you just can't let go of. I wonder if there's a resentment I wonder if there's a bitterness towards God or towards something that maybe happened at ECC recently or a few years ago. I wonder if that's you today. Or maybe you're a person who's still looking back to the good times when other people were here, when other things were being done. 
and you're looking back to those times, wishing the good old days would come back, maybe God is speaking to you this morning and he's saying, be on your way. It's time to move on. It's time to stop mourning over that thing. It's time to stop holding on to that thing. You cannot change the past, friends. But you can contend for Christ in the present. Is God telling you this morning to be on your way? And lastly from this verse we read that not only has God rejected Saul. But he's chosen for himself a new king. A king from the house of a guy called Jesse. Now will this new king be tall and impressive like Saul? Well, let's find out, verse 2. But Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears about it, he will kill me. The Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice. I will show you what to do. You are to anoint for me the one I indicate. Samuel did what the Lord said. And that's interesting, isn't it? That's a comparison to Saul who didn't do what the Lord said. When he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town trembled when they met him. They asked, do you come in peace? Samuel replied, yes, in peace. I have come to sacrifice the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come to the sacrifice with me. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons, invited them to the sacrifice. So what's basically happened is Samuel's gone to Jesse's house. He said, listen, we're going to make a sacrifice to the Lord. You've got to consecrate yourself. Basically means you've got to clean yourself up, guys. And then we're going to have the choose and the king parade. Verse 6. When he arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. Now you see Samuel. He's making the same mistake. Of the people of Israel. Back in chapter 10. You'll remember. And the verse will come on the screen. In chapter 10 verse 23. Remember Saul's kind of hiding in the baggage. And then they ran and brought him out. And as he stu Saul stood among the people. He was a head taller than any of the others. Samuel said to all the people, Do you see the man the Lord has chosen? There's no one like him among the people. Then the people shouted, Long live the king. Saul was a head taller than everyone else. And they were impressed by his size and shouted, Long live the king. And, and just six, six chapters later, Samuel is doing the very same thing. He sees Eliab the tallest. He thinks this must be the guy. He is the most impressive out of all of them. Samuel has not learned anything. You see Saul was impressive on the outside. But Saul would often leave people frustrated and disappointed and wanting more. You see Saul he was the person. He was the king they asked for. But Saul wasn't the king they needed. They needed a different type of king. They needed someone who would get to the heart of the problem because he had a different kind of heart. They needed a king who would give them rest. Was this possible? 
Well, let's move on to our second point. The priority of the inward. Now, I don't know if anyone's kind of nod away if you've ever seen the film Inside Out. It was an animation, a Pixar one, back uh, maybe five, six, seven years ago. And it's a fascinating film. It follows a girl called Riley as she moves from Minnesota to San Francisco. And the film cleverly shows what's going on on her inside, how she was feeling throughout the move. And we get to see her different emotions, emotions like joy and sadness and disgust and fear and anger. But at the very centre of her is this need to belong and to fit in. Well, that's obvious, isn't it? When you move to a new place, you want to feel like you belong and you fit in. That was the heart of the issue. So you see, when I'm talking about the inward, when I'm saying a priority of the inward, I'm not talking about our emotions. I'm talking about the very centre of who we are. This is the very heart of the matter. God is concerned with the heart. Let's read verse 7 again. This is a key verse. The Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Now again, this is not, this is not strange to us in 1 Samuel. We've heard this uh, talk about the heart before. In Samuel 13, uh, verse 13, we learn this. This is after Saul had offered the sacrifice instead of Samuel. Verse 13. You have done a foolish thing, Samuel said. You have not kept the command the Lord your God gave you. If you had, he would have established your kingdom over Israel for all time. But now your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him ruler of his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. So God had chosen for himself a new king with a different heart. And again, this isn't because the new king's heart is a different shape or it has an extra valve. It just means the king's heart, at the very centre of the king's heart, there's a difference. You see, remember Saul's heart, as we saw last week, when he erected that monument of himself? We're seeing in the, the very core of Saul's heart is himself. Is his glory, his, his honour. And, and if we're being honest, that's probably where we all are, at the very core of ourselves, especially the world of expressive individualism. The very core of who we are is this desire for our own needs, our own glory, our own honour. And yet a man or woman, after God's own heart, has God at the centre. His glory, his honour, his desires. The person who has God at his, uh, their heart loves the things God loves, hates the things God hates. And this new king that God has chosen, he's going to fail spectacularly at times. But he will look to repent against something that Saul was unwilling to do. But again, the suspense, see, we do not know who, the, you probably know because you've you heard it before. But again, in the story, it's building up who is this new king. Verse 8, then Jesse called Abinadab, had him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, the Lord has not chosen this one either. 
Jesse then had Shammah pass by, but Samuel said, nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel, but Samuel said to him, the Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, are all these the sons you have? They're still the youngest, Jesse answered. He's sending the sheep. Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So then that picture, all, of seven, all seven of Jesse's sons have passed by and none of them are the one that the Lord has chosen. Bit awkward that, isn't it, really? <laughs> what about that one? No. That one? No. This one? No. Uh-oh. Not, it can't be that one. The youngest, or as it's translated, the smallest, he's the one who looks after the sheep. That's how much value we put on him. It can't be him. Samuel's like, bring him here. Hardly looks impressive, does he, David? But isn't that the point of the story? Verse 12. So he sent for him. He had him brought in. He was glowing with health. He had fine appearance and handsome features. I read that. I just thought Ben Rochford. I don't know why, but anyway. Then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. Samuel then went to Ramah. So we finally heard, haven't we? Who is this king? Who is the king with a heart for God? Who is the king that God has chosen? It's none other than David. And then David, weird thing, he's put oil. Oil is put on his head and then the spirit of God rushes on him. So then he's empowered to do the work that God has for him. And again, if you remember 1 Samuel, this is all a fulfillment of Hannah's song back in chapter 2. Remember Hannah's song back in chapter 2 that the high, in this case Saul, will be brought low. And the low, in this case David, will be brought high. And again, this is played out more in chapter 17 when the big giant makes his appearance. But look, we're left here with the unimpressive David. This small shepherd boy is going to be one of Israel's greatest kings. This small boy from a tiny, insignificant place like Bethlehem is going to be a great Israel, king for Israel. These things aren't meant to happen. This is like one of those great rags to riches stories. A bit like when Bob the Minion becomes the king of England because he managed to pull King Arthur's sword out the stone. I love you thinking that's weird. What about this one? It's by Charlie Bucket when he inherits the, the chocolate factory. Or my favourite, it's like Rocky Balboa becoming a heavyweight champion of the world. David should not be the king. There's nothing impressive about him. And yet there's two wonderful truths in this chapter that should guarantee that he's going to do well. First truth is this, David is a shepherd. Now he's not a failed shepherd like Saul. Remember what was Saul doing? He was looking for the donkeys. He couldn't find them. Shepherds should know where their animals are. And again, we're going to see David. What do we know? David's tending the sheep. And then again in chapter 17, we'll see what a good shepherd David is because he's prepared to risk his life for the flock, isn't he? As the author Tim Chester says, he says, When David became king, his job description did not change. What changed was his flock. He went from shepherding Jesse's flock of sheep 
to shepherding God's flock of people. And secondly, so firstly, he's a, he's a shepherd. Secondly, and this is the most important thing, David was chosen by God himself. We saw it in chapter 13. We see it at the beginning of chapter 16. And we see it most brilliantly in 2 Samuel chapter 7. If you remember, that's the chapter where God makes this eternal covenant with David and his family forever. He says this, and it'll come on the screen, hopefully, verse 8. This is God saying, I took you from the pasture, from tending the flock, and appointed you ruler over my people Israel. I've been with you wherever you've gone. I have cut off all your enemies before you. Now I will make your name great, like the names of the greatest men on earth. So God chose David to be this shepherd king. God was with David, defeating Israel's enemies, bringing rest to the people of Israel. It's God who's making David's name great. David is the right man to be king because God has chosen him. That's what makes David impressive. But let's not be too harsh on David because there are some things that he does. He does have a love for God. He does have a desire to follow God's commands and he does show a willingness to repent when he gets it wrong friends David's heart was for God is yours friends can I ask you this morning do you love Jesus do you really love Jesus do you really delight in Jesus do you get excited by him do you yes praise God thank you good that's a good thing do you desire to follow his commands not begrudgingly not because i have to not because the god in the heavens going to point his finger and zap me if i don't but there's a desire inside you to do it and do you when you will and frequently mess up like me is there a willingness there to repent and friends if there's not then that's okay because by point three that's going to change because we're going to see the true shepherd king in a moment. But you see, I just have to remind you, as great as David was, his heart did wonder after impressive things. He went after beautiful women. He wanted large armies. David would bring rest, but that rest was only a temporary rest. David was not the eternal shepherd king. He was pointing to someone greater. Who is this person? Well, that takes us to point three. The perfection of the incarnate. Just let me grab a water a minute. Try not to get it on my nose. Now, Charles Spurgeon tells us that in the four gospel accounts, 89 chapters of biblical text, there's one place where Jesus tells us what his heart is like in matthew chapter 11 we find some truly remarkable words and i'll come on the screen jesus says this come to me all you who weary and burdened and i will give you rest take my yoke upon you and learn from me for i am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. 
Jesus tells us here that his heart is gentle and humble. His heart is not distant and demanding. His heart is not about being exalted and elevated. We're not even told that his heart is joyful and jolly. No, we're told that his heart is gentle and humble. Why is this good news for us? Well, it tells us, doesn't it, that Jesus is not trigger happy. Jesus is not harsh. He's not reactionary. He's not easily exasperated. He's the most understanding person in the whole of the universe. Quite often people, when they think of God and they think of God's posture, it's that accusing finger, isn't it? You've done it again. Why do you keep doing it? When actually, when we think of God, we think of Jesus. That's the posture of our God. Arms open wide. Because he is gentle and humble in heart. He is the shepherd king who gives us true rest. But that's not all. There's more similarities between David and Jesus. You know Jesus was born in Bethlehem. People concluded there was nothing impressive about Jesus. They said, he's a carpenter. How can he be the Messiah? Jesus too was chosen by his father. When Jesus transfigured in front of Peter, James and John, God said these words. A voice came from the cloud saying, this is my son whom I have chosen. Listen to him. In Mark chapter 6, the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus looks on the crowd and what does it tell us? He had compassion because they were like sheep without a shepherd. He is the shepherd king that they needed and we need today. David was a good shepherd. Again, he would risk his life for the sheep. But Jesus is the true and better shepherd because he would give his life for his sheep. And this is the big difference, my friends. Jesus is the shepherd king who dies for our sins. He gives his life so that we can have rest. Rest knowing that Jesus has taken the punishment we deserve for chasing impressive things instead of him. Rest knowing that Jesus has taken our failure on his body so that we can become part of his forever family rest knowing that the spirit given to david the spirit who empowered jesus the very same spirit lives in our heart and is forever telling us how much we are loved and part of his forever family this is the rest we only find in jesus it's only jesus christ who offers this rest the impressive things in this world they take from us they take our time, they take our money, they take our emotions. But Jesus, the great shepherd king, he gives. He gives his life and he gives us rest. Why does he do this? Because he is gentle and humble in heart. This offer of rest is open to all who will receive it. And did you notice in Matthew 11, it explicitly tells us who's qualified for this rest? All who are weary and burdened. 
Is that you today? Are you weary because you've been chasing impressive things that will never satisfy? Are you burdened today because of outside things that have come into your life? If you are either of them, then Jesus Christ is saying, come to me and I will give you rest. Friends, will you come to Jesus today for this rest? And maybe you've never had this rest from Jesus. Maybe you've spent your whole life chasing impressive thing after impressive thing and you feel empty. If that's you, come to Jesus and let him fill you with his rest. Maybe you've been a Christian for many years and you're in a season where life just feels totally overwhelming. Well, come to Jesus and let him lift your stress and give you rest. Or maybe you're in a place of struggle. Maybe you're holding on to some of those things. You're mourning about things in the past and you can't let them go. Maybe you've got no joy in following Jesus. Maybe you're going through the motions at best. Come to Jesus and his rest will fill you with joy again. Friends, the most impressive thing in the whole of history is when God became a man. A man whose heart is gentle and lowly. A man who would lay down his life for his sheep a man who would rise three days again to show us that he is the great eternal shepherd king. Jesus Christ, this God-man, gave his life so that we could have rest in him. That's impressive. Let me pray. Father God, thank you so much for the Lord Jesus. Thank you that he is our great eternal shepherd king, that he comes as someone who is gentle and humble in heart, someone who would lay down his life so that we can have rest. And Father, we've all come today in different stages of life with different pressures, anxieties, worries and fears. And I just pray you would help us to find our rest in Jesus. In his name I pray. Amen. You have been listening to the podcast from Emmanuel Community Church. To find out more about us, go to emmanuelcc.co.uk.